You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. So today uh, we're going to be reading from the book of Philippians. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. And if you are using the ESV Bible from here, it's on page 571. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. One of my favorite sounds is to hear people flipping through their Bible. Okay. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen. Thank you, Dev. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're a guest, uh, thank you for spending your Sunday with us. Uh, You can grab a Connect card on your way out or scan one of the QR codes. We would love an opportunity to connect with you, to serve you, and to see how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you're on your phone, we use the ESV. And if you'd like a physical hard, hard copy Bible, you can raise your hand and uh, Daniel will bring you one. So uh, in my undergraduate studies, I received a degree in human development and family studies. It sounds kind of fancy and I make fun of it all the time because in my classes, there were a lot of athletes that were just there to play sports and try to get to the NFL or the NBA or whatever it was that they were there to play. It was the athletes and the sorority girls, of which I was neither. So uh, I'd be in this class, and it'd be like the starting point guard on our basketball team, some all-American wide receiver that might show up to class 25% of the time and would always have an A somehow. Anyways, uh, and then all of these sorority girls... And then there would be little old me in my hipster glasses in these classes. So even though I make fun of it, as a pastor, some of the stuff I've learned in those classes has actually benefited me. One of my favorite classes was called Theories of Human Development. We would look at these psychologists and the theories that made them famous, essentially. So we'd look at Freud and the id and the superego and all that weird stuff. And we'd look at Pavlov and his dogs. 
guys like that. One of my personal favorites was the psychologist who, who was named uh, Albert Bandura. He developed what is known as the social learning theory. It's really uh, complex, but essentially it's based on this idea that people, specifically children, learn by observing what others do and say, rather than through direct instruction and punishment. So he developed this experiment where these kids would be watching their parents or other adults behind this two-way glass mirror. They'd watch these adults just beat the fire out of this inflatable clown, and they named the clown Bobo. Uh, And then these kids would go into this room, and then they would beat up Bobo the clown. It was super bizarre, but he was like, yeah, they learned by, their parents didn't get in trouble for hitting the clown, so they're not going to, and it was just a really weird theory, but I think if you look at it and kind of dig down a little further, it holds true when you look at our culture. So for example, a child may observe his or her parents' behavior and imitate the behavior in order to fit in with their family or their peers uh, trying, just trying to fit in. A teen, for example, may watch their peers and imitate their fashion choices in order to feel like they're fitting in. I think social media trends and challenges are also a good example of this, and we could take this super deep dive and look into all of this, but that's really not the point of this morning. The point of this example is that we often imitate what we value, or we imitate uh, what we want in order to get what we desire. We imitate from an early age what has been modeled for us. That's why when I discipline my kids, sometimes I sound like my parents. That's why my kids sometimes say the things that I say, good, bad, and ugly. Sometimes that that happens. And I think about, as I stand here before you this morning, I think about my role as a husband, a role as a father, a role as a pastor, and a role as a believer. And I think about the fact that I want to be the type of person that is living the type of life that you all would want to follow. Paul tells Timothy to set an example for other believers to follow. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Jesus. So today we're going to look at this passage of Scripture that feels kind of randomly placed in the middle of the letter of Philippians, and we're going to discuss its implications for us. And just a heads up, everybody. Because I love you, I'm going to say some hard things to you today. Coming in a little hot. Because I think if you were to look around the room this morning, we, Redeemer Church, need to hear some of these things this morning. So here's the question that I want to present to you as we look at this text together. If you claim to be a Christian, 
if you claim to be a Christian, is your life as a Christian worth following? If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a Christ follower, if you claim to love Jesus, is your life as a Christ follower worth following? If you took a look over the last several years, or the last several months, or the last several weeks, or the last several days, or the last several hours even, is there anything in your life, Christian, that you would say to someone else, follow me, because I am following Jesus? None of this is meant for your guilt or your shame or your condemnation because grace upon grace upon grace. But I really want you to consider, and I want to call you to consider, if you are completely surrendered to the Lord Jesus in every area of your life. My fear, my fear for a lot of us is sometimes functionally, meaning how we function, how we behave, how we act, what we do, sometimes functionally the Christian life and the calling of Jesus on our life is fine for us so long as it doesn't interfere with what I want to do. It's fine for me so long as I can squeeze it in between everything else that I have going on in my life. I'll be at church so long as it doesn't interfere with my vacation or my kids' sports or my social life or whatever else. I'll read the Bible only when I feel like I'm stressed out or wanting to feel better about myself. I'll pray when I feel like I need something. And I want to implore you Christians, for the sake of your souls, to think deeply about your devotion to Jesus. This text this morning feels like an abrupt shift in this letter, but Paul has called us to consider the example of Christ. And he's also called us to consider the familial nature, the togetherness of the church, the unity of the church. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have this section of Scripture. And look, the church needs examples to follow. The church needs people who can look at and follow after their faith in Christ. And so we have this portion of Scripture commending these two men for their faith. Paul is saying, here are two men who are worth emulating. But what about us? What about you? I don't want the example that we set for our kids or our friends or one another to be the one that says, the church is there when I feel like I need it. The church is there when I'm in town. The church is there until I get a better offer. Community is there, but we can miss it when we have other things going on. Jesus will understand if we make things more important than the body of Christ. Consider this for a second. When you make decisions for your life, 
is the gospel even a thought for you? Does Christ calling on you even cross your mind when you make a decision? And if not, what does that say about where your heart really is? What does that say about your heart when the things of Jesus functionally don't seem to mean that much to you? So this is a call to consider call for you to consider the calling of Jesus on your life as his son or his daughter and as a member of the body of Christ. So let's pray, and we're going to dive into this text. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us our need for you this morning. Lord, it is by the cross and the resurrection that we can boldly approach your throne and ask for help, Lord. And so I pray that you would impress deeply on our hearts and on our souls our need for you this morning. Move in us, Lord. Stir our affections for you. Lord, impress on us our desire for holiness and a desire for faithful obedience over the course of our lives. Grace upon grace, thank you for the cross. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you'd pray for yourself, that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 19. We have here what is known as the travel log of Philippians. It exists here sort of as an itinerary. It exists because Paul needs to communicate with this church in Philippi that, that are supporting him. He needs to communicate with them because they are supporting his missionary efforts. And he needs to let them know what's been happening to him in Rome. So for whatever reason, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, places this travelogue at the end of chapter 2, as opposed to the end of the letter like he does in most of his other writings. It may feel like a random inclusion or a break in Paul's thoughts, but what we're going to see here is that Paul is going to highlight these two faithful men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, as examples. Tony Morita says that up to this point in the letter, Paul moves from instruction and imperatives to now, with the introduction of these two men, living illustrations. And it's because we need examples. We need examples of what the letter of Philippians is calling us to. These men exemplify Philippians 1.5 because they had partnership in the gospel. God had begun a good work in these men, and he is now carrying it out to completion. So these two men show us what it looks like to have affection for Christ's church. They illustrate what it looks like then to live lives worthy of the gospel as they are humble and others-focused in their service. 
They are working out their salvation in practical acts of serving without complaining. So in short, they are examples worth watching and they are men worth following. So let's look at these men together in this text. Beginning in verse 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not of those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy, you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. So I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So let's summarize this really quickly. Again, Paul's in prison in Rome, and Timothy's there with him. Paul is planning on sending Timothy to Philippi, but not right this second. Paul is going to wait to send Timothy back until the verdict of his trial is decided. So for now, Paul will wait because Timothy is his companion and Timothy is his compassionate servant in the Lord. Paul highlights for us Timothy as a man of character. He is concerned for the welfare of others before his own. He is not concerned with building his own platform like others that we saw in chapter 1 of Philippians. And in verse 20 and 21, what we see is that the way we care for one another ultimately reflects what we believe to be true about the gospel. As Jesus cared for us, so we care for one another from the overflow of what Christ has done for us. Timothy is a man who Paul says has proven himself as a man worthy. He's living a life worthy of the gospel. He has served Paul like a child would serve an ailing father. Timothy is not just a volunteer in some service organization, but he is Paul's son in the faith. Yet again, we see the familial nature of the church. So listen to me for a second. I wonder if you fully grasp the significance of what it means, what the familial nature of the church means. I think if we all really understood that we are a part of a family and not in some minor Hallmark Christmas card sort of way, but actually a part of a family that in fact transcends our biological families. The gospel knits us together. If we really understood and applied the knowledge that we have been brought into a family by the blood of Jesus, would it change the way that you showed up to church? Would it change the way that you showed up to community group? Would it change the way that you showed up for people in crisis? Would you take the things of Jesus more seriously in your own life if you really believe that the local church is only as healthy as its membership? 
And when its members are only marginally committed to Jesus and to the body, then the mission of the church is stunted. That's one reason why Paul will send Timothy. He wants to encourage the faith of the Philippians who are in danger of following after false teachers and letting petty rivalries tear them apart. Paul is commending Timothy before the Philippians because he will return there at some point and help spur them along towards faith and dependency and mission. So Paul is telling the Philippians that Timothy is my guy because he is a faithful servant of Jesus. He is a trustworthy brother who they ought to listen to and emulate. His motives are pure. His motives are sincere, and he will serve them, and he will help them along towards their faith in Christ Jesus in love and in unity for one another. Timothy is an extension of Paul, who is a servant of Jesus. So to summarize the summary, Timothy is Paul's friend. Timothy is closer to Paul than a brother. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. And he has helped sustain Paul in the midst of his imprisonment. Timothy is present in Paul's weakness. Timothy prays for Paul. Timothy prays with Paul. Timothy is supporting Paul as they are brothers in Christ, called together and united by the blood of Jesus in the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And do you have friends like this? And are you a friend like this? I'm glad you got a friend like that, bro. <laughs> Matt Bertrand, friend all. Are you a friend like this? This is why we push community so hard here. One of the reasons. It's because none of us can do this on our own. We need people in our lives when life is hard and our desires for Jesus are lacking. Are you a friend like this? So that's Timothy. Let's look at the big E, Epaphroditus. It's easy, big E is easier to say. Um, verse 25. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my needs. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All right, so new guy, Epaphroditus. He is not as well known as, as Timothy. He's kind of a lesser known person in the New Testament. He shows back up in the book of Philemon with Paul. But he's not like Timothy where we see him as sort of a prominent figure 2,000 years removed from the writing of the New Testament. But here are a few things we do know about him. He has this Greco-Roman name 
that is related to this Greek goddess, Aphrodite, the goddess of love. His name means charming or handsome. So perhaps he's like the Brad Pitt of the New Testament. But more realistically, I was expecting more treasure. I <laughs> more realistically, his family were probably pagans. And they named their son after a Greek goddess of love. But here we have Epaphrodite, Epaphroditus, who was saved by the grace of Jesus to him. Perhaps he was one of the early converts of the church in Philippi. Epaphroditus is a picture of what happens when God calls people to himself. Paul writes this letter 10 years or so after the church of Philippi is planted, and we see Epaphroditus as a spiritual leader in the church. He's then commissioned by the church to go and visit Paul in Rome and to bring him the gifts that the church has gathered for Paul. Excuse me. Epaphroditus is being sent to serve and assist Paul, but while he's there, perhaps on the way to Rome, he gets sick. Verse 27 says he was sick to the point of death. He's got a license to ill. Thank you. (laughs) Come back. That was, I went off script there. I shouldn't have. Anyways. He gets sick on the way to Rome. Whatever the illness is, we don't know. Epaphroditus is a picture of what happens when God calls him to himself, and then God then has mercy on him and heals him. And but word has traveled that the church of Philippi knows he's sick and knows he might die, and so they're worried about him. And then he finds out that they're worried about him, and he's worried about them, and he can't just send them a text like. I'm good. It's not how it worked back then. And so there's like this two-way street of concern. But he does recover from his illness, and Paul sends him back to Philippi, and Paul is commending him here as well. Paul calls him his brother. Paul calls him his fellow worker in the gospel, and Paul calls him his fellow soldier. In common with every believer, Epaphroditus, is Paul's brother. Having been united with him in faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, he is a member of the same spiritual family with God in Christ. There's more of that familial language. He is united with Paul not only in faith, but also in the work of the gospel, both as a laborer and as a soldier on the front lines in hostile Rome. Epaphroditus has forsaken the safety and comfort of Philippi and serves Paul, who is in prison in Rome. He is ministering to Paul's needs. He's not considering himself, first and foremost, but the needs of others. And Paul sends him back. And we may look at this text and think, yeah, of course he did. The dude's been sick. He probably needs to sleep in his own bed for a little bit. Like, that seems reasonable, But during this time, this is a shame and honor culture. So it's possible that upon hearing that Epaphroditus was sick, the Philippian church, though they were concerned, were like, oh man, that loads of regret. 
Like, uh, why did we send him? We should have sent this other person, someone that would not have gotten sick. But Paul says, no. Honor him. Epaphroditus deserves a hero's welcome when he returns. Because Paul watched his brother be in anguish over his friends back in Philippi, he hated to be, Epaphroditus hated to be the source of their distress. So Paul, for the benefit of all of them, sends him back to Philippi, and he carries this letter from Paul back to the church of Philippi, most likely. And so he returns, and that's the end of our text. And scene. Okay, um, Here's a few things that I want us to take note of as we end our time together. A couple things. The Christian life should be filled with honoring one another as we honor Christ. We need to honor those who work hard to build us up in Christ through the Holy Spirit, and we need to honor those who work to build up the church. So I'd like to quote one of our own here, if I could. Uh, Matt Bertrand made this observation about honoring those who serve the church as a vocation. He says, we should honor those who give their lives to spreading the gospel. These men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, were missionaries who were laying down their own lives for the church. Paul was calling for them to be honored, just as we should honor and support and pray for missionaries and pastors and church planners today. But the greatest example is Christ, who, as we read in last week's text, did not count equality with God as something to cling to, but emptied himself. He became our missionary. All others truly fall short of him and his mission. He came to a people who were so separated and far from him to save them and to be the good news for them where we are selfish and struggle to fight our own wants, he humbled himself. Where we disobey, he obeyed perfectly. And now we have been given his righteousness and are free to be missionaries for him, knowing that the Holy Spirit is growing in us and sanctifying us and that even when we fall short of our calling, we are covered by his blood and we are covered by his righteousness. From the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus, we see that serving Jesus and others will cost us. But it's worthy if the kingdom of God advances. In the life of Timothy and Epaphroditus, we see a picture of the service of Jesus to the least deserving people. People who were wrecked by sin, unable to do anything to improve their condition and their position in life. And Jesus came. And Jesus lived the life that was ours to live and paid for our sinful, treasonous rebellion against him. Jesus paid for it by suffering in our place. Jesus paid for it by serving us, by becoming death in our place. This Jesus who did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped emptied himself and came and dwelt among us, and in love he died. In obedience to the will of the Father, 
he has served us. And that's the calling on us to live and love the way that Jesus does. Okay, here we go. Some of you, some of you need to, need to take a hard look at your life and see if you're serving others by placing others' needs above your own. This does not have a limited scope or focus. You can serve others by praying. You can serve others by going to coffee or lunch and checking in on someone who you know is struggling in your life. Some of you need to open your homes or your wallets or your schedules to love and serve and be present. To love and serve and be present for one another as members of the body of Christ. In order to be servants of Jesus, in order to follow the example of Jesus, we have to acknowledge that following Christ involves sacrificing in various degrees. And here's what I want to say. Especially if you're like young, teens, 20s, it doesn't just apply to you, but it certainly applies to you. I think, this is just an opinion, but I think culturally we are chasing shiny, spectacular moments. What I mean is this. We want these experiences. We want these feelings, if you will. We want these mountaintop experiences with Jesus. So, for example, I used to be a youth pastor. I shouldn't say I used to. I am again. <laughs> uh, but back in the day, I was a full-time youth minister, and I'd take my kids to church camp every summer. In one of the churches I worked at, we'd go to these big camps with these big-name speakers and these big-name worship leaders, and it was always super incredible. These camps did a good job, and we'd put our kids in this Jesus bubble for, for a week. And I would have them in this Jesus enclosure, this Jesus bubble. Uh, usually didn't have cell service, praise the Lord. Um, and, and so we would spend a week together reading the Bible and worshiping and, and having a good time. And these kids in this Jesus bubble would make commitments, and they'd plant their flags into the I am never going to do this again ground. I'm going to be fully committed to Christ. You watch. And then the bus would pull into the parking lot at the church for their parents to pick them up. And the temptations that they left behind were still there. And these temptations begin to compete really hard for their affections. And the camp speaker was gone because they didn't take the camp speaker home with them. And their small groups that they were in all week were gone. They had their Bibles. And they had the Holy Spirit. 
They had their church, and that often didn't sustain them in their commitments. And here's potentially a reason why I think this is so. The product is what we were drawn to. It was shiny, and it was exciting. And I think these moments have their place. Like, they can be very formative for us. I was called to vocational ministry at a disciple now. Like, that's a big event in the youth ministry stuff. Those moments can be formative to us, but that can't be all that there is. When we're wired culturally for sensationalism, and when it doesn't feel sensational, we get bored. We get bored with it, and we move on to the next shiny thing until it tarnishes, and then we move on, and then we move on, and then we move on, and we've married Jesus to this feelings-driven pursuit. We don't know how to sit still. We don't know how to sit still in silence and pray. We don't know how to tell the difference between the word of God and, and ear-tickling stuff that's going on in church culture today. We don't know how to tell the difference between the word of God because we're not in it, and we don't know how to tell the difference between the word of God and heresy. We have lost the ability to unplug from our phones and our TVs and get in the word and listen to the Holy Spirit. I mean, if I were to ask you, if we just go around the room real quick, and I were to ask you if you were in the Word, a lot of you would tell me no because I don't have time. But I would also be confident in saying that you do make time for your shows. You do make time for your social media feeds. You make time for your social media feeds. You make time for whatever form of entertainment you feed yourself with. And listen, you downplay faithfulness to Jesus when you do that. You downplay faithfulness to Jesus when you function like that. Jesus is something less important to you when you function like that. Jesus, you are saying, Jesus, you are less important than everything else that I have going on in my life right now. Jesus, you are not worth my time. And when that happens, when you function like this, church is not important to you. Scripture is not important to you. More simply stated, reflecting Jesus is not important to you. And when this is, important, and when this is not important to you, you are on very shaky ground. When the world squeezes you, and when life gets hard, what you have been filling yourself up with will ultimately spew out of you. And if it's not Christ, you are on very shaky ground. 
What we have in our text today are two men that Paul props up for us as examples to follow. Follow them because they are following Christ. What about you? What about you? Can you say that? Follow me as I follow Christ. Can you say that? What if one of your coworkers found out you were a believer? Would they be surprised? You may be able to say all the right things, but what if they hung out with you for a week? Gulp. Does your life look different because of Christ? If the answer is no, it doesn't. Just be honest about that. But why is that? What do you need to change? Look, it isn't about your behavior. Christ isn't after your behavior modification. He's after your heart. If you struggle to be in the Word and pray, think about where your time goes. How much time do you spend on your phone or with Netflix when you aren't working? I went to a conference recently, and one, break, uh, one of the breakout sessions I went to, the speaker said that the voices that young Republican voting Christian men listen to in culture today are Ben Shapiro, who is Jewish, and Joe Rogan, who's an atheist. And Yeah, he was the third one. I didn't know who that was, but yeah. Dudes, this is for all of us, but if, that, if that's you... Ben Shapiro, Joe Rogan camp, like, why aren't you filling up your lives with the things of Jesus? The calling of the Christian life is faithful obedience, moment by moment over the course of our lives. And this obedience is only possible because God's Holy Spirit dwells in us. This obedience is coming from faith and delight in Christ. So here's where I want to leave us this morning. Christians, is your life worthy of imitation? Is your life worthy of imitation? If not, you need to repent. If you say, yeah, I think so. I think it is. Praise God. Now I beg you, if this is you, to grab someone in this room and then invest deeply into that person. And if you'd say no, but I'd like it to be, then go and grab somebody in your group and confess that. Confess that. Ask for accountability. Ask for discipleship. But do not stay in your comfortable, complacent spot.
I think for a lot of you, there's a fear of not doing it the right way, doing something wrong, or not knowing even where to start. If that's you, just acknowledge that, because we want to help. But we have to be willing to take steps towards one another as we are following Christ together. Look, some of you just need to be honest with where you're at. Because this is a safe place to struggle. But also in that honesty and in that struggle, please let that lead you to a desire for devotion to Jesus who has called you to more than your leftovers. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross to call us together into one family. We are accountable to one another because of the resurrection of Jesus. The cross not only provides us with salvation, it also provides us with fellowship with God and others. And so many of you just neglect that sweet mercy and that sweet grace. And may it not be so any longer. May the kindness of the Lord draw us near. May we continue to live lives worthy of the gospel that we have received. Let's pray.